Good morning. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to us from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles for you back on the round table. You can pick it up and grab one. And uh, if you don't know where Mark is, we all start somewhere, and there's a table of contents for you in the front of your Bible. We're going to be looking at Mark uh, chapter 12, verses 28-34. You know, kids say some of the most profound things in the back of cars. There was a mother who's driving with her daughter. They're going down the street, and the daughter perks up and says, Mommy, how long are Pastor Kyle's sermons? which point the mother says, I, I don't know, like 35, 45 minutes. Really? The daughter says. Well, yeah. I thought they were like two hours. <laughs> oh, well, well, don't tell him that, the mother replies. Why? I mean, does he want them to be short? Well, the mother says he wants them to feel short. (laughs) To which the daughter says, well, somebody just needs to let me up there. Because if I got up there, I'd say, love God, love people, done. I have never wanted to take that advice so strongly as in preparing for this passage this week. Love God, love people, done. Mark chapter 28, or Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let me pray for us. Well, actually, there's a response. This is the word of the Lord. And Lord Christ, we do praise you for your word because it is life-giving. 
Would you use it now to divide us up to be your holy offering? May it divide joint from marrow, that we might be a living sacrifice, wholly devoted to you and everything. Come to us now. In your word we pray. Amen. Love God. Love people. Done. That was easy. It seems pretty simple, right? Love God, love people, done. And, and it's not so simple, though. Are we really done? If there's one thing that it seems like we can all agree on, it's that we should love. Isn't that right? There's a, um, there's a church in town and they have this slogan that says, love everyone always. And I love that. I love, love everyone always. Because that's right, love everyone always. And I think actually in our society, as divided as we are, there isn't anything that we could agree on more. Love everyone always. And yet, we live in a society which has the least moral consensus of any society in the Western world that, is, that has existed since the Western world. Why is that? How come we can all say we should all love everyone always and then at the same time be so divided on moral issues? Well, I think it's simply this. What do we mean by love? What does it mean to love? And, and if you saw love, would you even know it? What does it look like to love? Everyone always. Well, in this text, I think Jesus actually helps us out with that question. He helps us understand what love is. And there are four things that Jesus teaches us about love in this passage. The first thing that he teaches us is that love is supreme. I have a friend who loves to ask this question to anyone he meets. Were you loved well? Were you loved well? It's actually a really profound question. And he asked that question because he thinks that whether or not you're loved well, well, that is the most formative, or whether or not, yeah, whether or not you're loved well is the most formative thing in anyone's life. Because loved people love people. And so he wants to know, were you loved well? The elephant man said it in to Dr. Frederick Treves, my life is full because I am loved. And the Beatles said it as well, love is all you need. Uh, there seems to be a consensus that love is the most important thing that we need. And if love is the most important thing that people need, that anyone and everyone needs, then there's no more important thing that we can give than love. And Jesus actually agrees. At least he seems to. A scribe comes up to him. Scribe is a person who studies the Jewish law in verse 28. And he asked Jesus to weigh in to this important debate that was going on during that time. You see, the Jews, they had, they had studied the law and they had parsed the law and they had figured out that within their ancestral tradition there were 613 laws as they counted them. 
But they wanted to know which law is the greatest. Which commandment is the most important of all, verse 28. And notice that Jesus, he does not mince words. He does not hesitate. He does not do a roundabout. He does not tell a parable. He answers very straightforwardly. Verses 29 through 31. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus goes to two places in the Bible to show that love is actually the most important of all. First he goes to Israel's Shema in Deuteronomy 6. The Shema comes from the word hear as in hear and obey. Shema Yisrael. Adonai, Adonai at El. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. And because the Lord is one, which means he is unique, that's, what the scribe, that's how the scribe understands that, verse 32. There is no other besides him. Because he is one, he is unique, and there is no other God besides him, you are to love him Exclusively. The Shema was Israel's fundamental confession of faith. It was their apostles' creed. It was read every day in the temple. And when they said it, what they were, what they were recalling to mind is this, that there is one God who created the whole world and one God who redeemed the whole world. And that God, who is the world's only creator and only redeemer, he requires their exclusive, wholehearted allegiance. That's why the text goes on, verse 30. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything you are, everything you have, passionately devoted to the one God, loving him. Everything. And love, by the way, is the only thing that is tied in all of the Bible to say that we're to do it with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. That's it. We're not told to believe with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not told to obey with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to love. Love is the fundamental disposition of response to this one true God and all that he has done for us. In other words, what the Bible says is that we are first and foremost lovers and that you and I were created to love, to give love, to receive love. We are not thinkers first and foremost. We are not doers first and foremost. We are lovers first and foremost. L love is the essential condition, the sine qua non of being human. You know what a sine qua non is? It's a fancy Latin term which basically says like without this thing, there is nothing else, right? It's that thing that is absolutely necessary. So for instance, the sine qua non of barbecue is smoking for eight hours and pork. If you don't have those two things, then you don't have barbecue. You might have a tasty beef meal, a la being in Texas. You may have a really nice cookout, a la being in California with tri-tip, but you do not have barbecue. Because for me, the sine qua non of barbecue is pork and at least smoking for eight hours. Okay? And the sine qua non of being human is to love. Without love, it's nothing. That's, 
That's what Paul picks up on in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. Paul is saying, without love, what's the point? You can do lots of things. You can be devoted to lots of things. But if you do not love, you've missed it. And that's basically what the scribe picks up on. Verse 33, to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, you can worship God. You can show up and worship each and every week. You can give a portion of your money. You can give a ton of your money. But if you do not love, it's devoid. It doesn't matter. It's null. It's void. That's what the minor prophets say. They say, Israel, what are your sacrifices to God when you don't love the poor? If you don't love the poor, guess what? Those sin offerings that you're offering, they're not sin offerings. And that worship that you're giving, it's not worship. If you're not doing justice because of you love, it doesn't count for anything. Without love, it's nothing. So here's the question. Do you love? Do I love? Do we love? We've had a lot of evacuations this year. And we just moved into a higher fire zone. And as we were driving home, Pam wisely said to me, you know, we're going to have to like develop an evacuation plan and think about what we want to put in our car. Okay? And th that's kind of an, a lot of you have gone through this. Some of you have not. Most of you have. When you go through this, you have to think, like, what are the things that are most important? I bet if I could, went to your car in evacuation, I could figure out what is most important to you. The things that you really care about. If we're going to run an evacuation test on a church, and an outsider came in and they said, what is most important to these guys? Would they see love? Or would they see self-protection? Would they see love? Or would they see a desire to always be right? Would they see love? Or would they see a competitive search to be better? Wouldn't it be amazing if outsiders came in and they said, you know, I don't know about all those people's beliefs and that whole Trinity thing, it, I, don't, I don't quite get it. And Jesus dying and rising in for sins, I'm still a little fuzzy on that, but here's what I do know. Those people love me. And they love So don't talk bad about them. Wouldn't it be amazing? Love is supreme. That's the first thing that Jesus says. The second thing I think that Jesus teaches us in his answer is that love is a package. Love is a package. Notice how Jesus answers. First, he answers in verse 29 with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then, in verse 31, he says, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, did anyone think that Jesus just did like that, that thing where, you know, you ask the kid, what do you want for your birthday? And they say, I want three more wishes. You know, what's the greatest command, Jesus? It's to love the Lord your God. And the second is like this. Or it's like, did he just throw in another command? Is that what he did? Did he, did he do a twofer? I don't actually think that's what's going on. I don't think that Jesus is giving us two commandments here. I think that he's saying that these come as a package deal, that they're actually one command, that they're unified. That, that loving God and loving neighbor are an inseparable package. That you can't have one without the other, and without them together, it just doesn't make sense. I recently mentioned that we moved, and I'm going to pass along all my failures to you so that you don't commit them, okay? Failure number one. All right, good idea. Try to buy stuff on the cheap from Craigslist. Bad idea. Try to buy IKEA projects on the cheap from Craigslist. Here's why. Because... Um, because after three days of going back and forth and searching the person's garage for little screws and Allen wrenches and other things that didn't come with it originally, then you realize, wow, that was way more trouble than it's worth. Because like in Ikea, if you're not familiar, Ikea is a store, they sell you furniture, but they don't really sell you furniture, they just sell you parts. Do not be deceived. They have pictures of furniture, but they sell you parts. And you get to be a construction worker or a furniture uh, builder, and you get to build the furniture. Or Pam does in our household. <laughs> and so, uh, when, you, when you buy something from Ikea, and it's a million different little parts. When you buy something from Ikea, I mean, it's great if you buy it from Ikea, because then it's all together. But if you bought it from someone who put it together and then pulled it apart and then put it in four places in their house chances are you're not going to have all the parts. And if you don't have like one part as you're going through, the bed falls down. It doesn't go together, which we found. If you don't have love of God and love of neighbor, if you don't have one and the other together, then you don't have either. See, what Jesus is saying is that you can't love God without loving your neighbor. And what Jesus is saying is that you can't love your neighbor without loving God. And that's significant. It's significant in our day because a lot of us say, well, we should just love people. But see, Jesus says, and it doesn't matter about our beliefs, but Jesus says, well, wait, if you don't believe in God and trust him and aren't holy and aren't devoted to him, then your love is not really going to be love. It's going to be some form of getting and not giving because you don't have a resource that you're drawing from in order to love others. And so you're loving in order to get and not to give. In the same way, it, he says, don't kid yourself. You can't say, well, I just love God and I'm a jerk to people because I love God so much. I'm able to be a jerk for people because I just really care about God and his truth and his ways. And Jesus says, do not be deceived. If you're cold, if you're unapproachable, if you're unkind, don't deceive yourself. You don't love God. Because loving God and loving neighbor, they're bound together. They come 
as a package. And it's not just loving God and loving neighbor. It's also loving self. Did you notice that? Look verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says here, and a lot of people say this, Jesus assumes self-love. Yes. He also assumes that self-love is good. Did you know that? I don't think that it's bad to love yourself. You are part of God's creation. And I think we should love ourselves. Say, well, wait, Jesus tells us to to lose our life, to lose our soul, to give it up, to sacrifice ourselves, to take up the cross. Yes, in order to find it. It's those who actually love their soul who give up their soul because they realize that they're clinging to their soul and independent self-reliance is actually going to be destructive and lose their soul in the end because you were made to cling to and rest in and rely upon God. And so the best thing you can do, the most loving thing you can do for yourself is to give up your life into his hands. That's what Jesus is saying. These things come as an inseparable package, but there is an order to them. Notice that. Verse 31 and second. There is a first and a second. That is that the love of neighbor flows out of love of God and the love of self flows out of a love for God. Saint Bernard of Clairvaux put it this way he said, First, a man loves himself for his own sake, then man loves God for self's sake, then man loves God for God's sake, and finally love man, man loves himself solely for God's sake. What's he saying? He's talking about the trajectory that we all kind of find ourselves on, or most of us that we start off with this kind of intense desire to love ourselves and do everything for ourselves. But that love is a tainted love. And so, but it's out of that love that oftentimes we end up loving God because we love God to avoid hell or to get good things or something else. But it's really all like self-motivated. And Bernard says, but then we move on from there because that love isn't really a loving God, it's using God. You're loving him in order to get things from him. You're not loving him for God's sake. But you move on from there where you delight in God. You love God for God's sake. And when you love God for God's sake, then you can love yourself for God's sake. Because God made you. Because he loves you. Because you are valuable to him. Both as his image bearer and also as his son or daughter whom he poured out his own precious blood for. See, there's an order though. And so the question I think that this love package calls us to ask is, to what extent do I love God? And to what extent does my love for God affect my love for others? And to what extent does my love for God affect not only my love for others, but also how I love and care for myself? For God's sake. Well, I'll tell you one way that it's going to change things is this. You might think that you know what is best for you. And you pursue that. That's loving oneself for self's sake. But you're able to pursue another path 
for oneself when you love God and you realize that actually God calls me to something else and I know that God's ways are better for me. And so therefore, you know, I'm not going to eat uh, three pizzas tonight because it would not be good. Even though before, maybe you said, I'm going to love myself for self's sake and I'm going to eat three pizzas because I think it's going to be good. But then you'd listen to God, right? Now I'm giving a kind of hyperbolous menial example. But I think the point stands in so many different ways, in so many of our relationships, in so many of our work environments, and everything. This love is a package. So first Jesus teaches love is supreme, then he teaches love as a package, but he also teaches us that love is lawful. You know, we say we should love everyone always. Yes. But what does love mean again? And most of the time when we talk about love, we mean some kind of, in our society, some kind of nebulous, squishy feeling, uh, disposition maybe, but not anything real tangible. But, but notice that, that in verse 28, what this question that is being posed is over, which commandment is the most important of all? And when the scribes asked that question, they weren't asking the question, which commandment can I do to the exclusion of all the others? They were asking the question, which commandment is the foundational commandment which frames all the others and through which I see all the others, which sheds light on all the other commandments? And Jesus says, love, all the commandments are actually related to love. That love is what shows you how to act lawfully. That every command in the Bible is actually a means to love. So, for instance, let's take the command not to commit adultery. Well, it's not simply a command not to commit adultery or to abstain from extramarital sex. It's a command to love one's spouse. Or let's take the command not to steal. Well, that command is not simply about not taking one's possession, but about respecting, cherishing, and honoring, and loving your neighbor and their image-bearing capacity so much that you actually care for their rights to possess and to use God's world with dignity. And that also means that you can't simply keep the command not to commit adultery by abstaining from extramarital sex, that you actually have to love your spouse. Nor can you uh, keep the command not to steal simply by not taking your neighbor's possession. You actually have to love your neighbor and their rights to possess. And so, so what Jesus is showing us here is actually that the commandments are on the one hand much more difficult than we ever imagined. Because if we are not doing them out of love and as a means to love, then we're actually not keeping them at all. And second, it also shows us that the law is actually intensely personal. And to break a commandment is not to just break or to uh, have an infringement uh, against some abstract principle, but it's actually to violate another person. Whether that person is God or your neighbor. So the commandment is, is intensely personal and much more difficult. But if love shows us how to act lawfully, then the law shows us how to act lovingly. See, again, 
we have this idea that love is kind of this squishy, sentimental feeling or disposition that I have. But Jesus is actually saying that the commands give shape to love because if love is intrinsic to the commands and the chief command that frames all lovers and gives light to all lovers, then that means that all the other commands are means to love and they show you how to love. So the commands give shape to love. So while love is necessary to keep the commands, the commands are necessary to show us how to love in concrete ways. What does it mean to love my neighbor? It means you don't steal. It means you respect their body. It means you don't covet. And it means these things in concrete ways. Which makes actually loving tremendously more difficult too because you can't deceive yourself into thinking that you love people in this kind of abstract way because you have this feeling of goodwill towards people out there. All the while, you're not treating your boss with respect or your child in service and love and dignity and patience or your neighbor by assuming the best and not the worst. Or customer service agent, which I've been uh, dealing with a lot, with patience and dignity and empathy. So you can't just say, I love, without uh, actually playing into how we use our words and our bodies and our time and our money in relationship to other real, live, in-flesh human beings. So, love is supreme. Love is a package. Love is lawful. But finally, I think if you take all that together, Jesus is teaching us that love is unachievable. Love is absolutely unachievable. Who can love like that? And the scribe, he gets this. Verse 33, he says, To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, he, he alludes to, it seems, two places in the Old Testament. One in in, uh, in the Kings or Samuel where it says to, to obey is better than to sacrifice and then uh, also to the minor prophets which speak of something similar. But the problem is, is in those texts, they, they just, uh, ha- they say like to, to obey is, is greater or is, um, is above or something like that sacrifice. But, but the scribe, he uses this, this word here. He says to obey it exceeds literally all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It exceeds them. What does he mean by that? Well, I think to answer that, you have to remember where they are. Chapter 11, verse 27, they are in the temple courts. They're in the temple courts, and Jesus has been having a debate with all the religious leaders, and this comes after Jesus' incredibly provocative move to overturn the tables and to say, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations and stop the temple business. He shuts down the temple. 
That was incredibly provocative. And then he's having this debate. And it's probably in the midst of that that he also says that you destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days and claims this incredible amount of authority over the temple. And it's in the midst of that where whole burnt offerings and sacrifices are delivered that this scribe comes to the conclusion that to love these things is better than or exceeds. Exceeds all whole burnt offerings. And we also have to ask, to order to understand what he's saying, I think we have to ask, what were the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices primarily for? For sin. So here's what I think is going on. I think the scribe hears everything that Jesus has to say. And I think he considers the demand and the command to love. To love God and to love others with everything you are and everything you have, every moment of every day. And I think he says, that law, what that law requires, it exceeds all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices that this temple could ever give to atone for my sin and my lack of love. I think he gets it. And Jesus thinks he gets it too. Because notice how Jesus responds. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Which is a really beautiful statement. Because remember who he's saying this to. A scribe. These are the enemies. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they're the enemies. And what Jesus is saying is this. When the dominion of God, when the kingdom of God breaks forth on earth, you can't rule anybody out. And those you think are enemies, well, they could be very close to the kingdom because the kingdom is coming forth. It is encroaching on people and it is encroaching on this man. He is not far from the kingdom. But he's not in. See, there is hope for the hostile, but the hostile has to hope. And he's starting to hope because he's recognizing his need, his need for a greater capacity to love and his need for a greater sacrifice that can take away all that lack of capacity and all the ways in which he has failed to love. See, if love is one thing he needs, love is the one thing he doesn't have. And what he needs is a greater sacrifice. And what Jesus has been saying in subtle ways, but will say writ large by the end of this gospel is this, I am that sacrifice. And when he sacrifices himself for us, then we know what it means to be loved well. So let me ask you, have you been loved well? Do you even know what that means? Because those who have been loved well, love well. And love is not something that you can achieve, but it is something that you can receive. And it is something that you can live out of. 
For this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself and his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Amen.